Father, we do praise you for Jesus and those who recognised who he was, a king who comes in the name of the Lord and brings the peace of heaven to earth. And so open our eyes to this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a sermon about uh, spreading your cloak on the road before Jesus. If you were in Jerusalem in 30 AD, which is probably the year this took place, and you saw Jesus approaching Jerusalem on a donkey colt with a mob of disciples kind of shouting and singing around him and and perhaps others coming from the city and joining in and laying cloaks on the road before the donkey that Jesus rode. What would you have made of this scene? Now, here is one way you might have commented on or thought about what you saw. You might have thought, it's a pathetic but dangerous attempt at a royal procession. That is, you might think this is a bit pathetic because, you know, instead of a true royal procession, you know, with a gorgeously dressed king on a finely saddled royal mount, escorted by noble warriors and acclaimed by the whole population of the city who turned out dressed in white for the occasion. Instead of that, a real royal procession, a procession worthy of the name, here is a sad parody of royalty. We've got small-time Galilean nobodies instead of noble warriors. We've got scrappy peasant cloaks on a borrowed donkey colt instead of the capes of generals and officers on a beast from royal stables. It's a sad kind of rent-a-crowd shouting instead of a well-arranged turnout from the entire population. So in some ways you might think this is a bit rubbish, a bit pathetic. But you might also think, yeah, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous because the man on the colt He has a following. People thought he was at least a prophet. He was said to heal and do miracles. And he was critical of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He pronounced woes upon them and the crowds kind of loved it. He had real power to move people. And Jerusalem at Passover could be a powder keg. Uh, In 4 BC, when Jesus was just a boy, Herod Archelaus was in the process of coming to power, succeeding his father, Herod the Great. And at Passover, during this process, he was pressed by the Jewish population to settle some scores that they had hanging over from Herod the Great's reign, to make some changes to the high priesthood from the way his father Herod had done it. And things got out of hand as Archelaus, you know, conceded in some ways and resisted in other ways, and crowds gathered at the temple, and they attacked Archelaus's envoys. And Archelaus then sent in all his troops after midnight one night, and Josephus, the Jewish historian, says 3,000 were massacred in the temple priests by Archelaus's soldiers. And Archelaus cancelled the Passover. This is the kind of thing that had happened And that might happen again if the crowds got swept up in fervour. Stirring up religious passions at Passover was dangerous. And presenting yourself as Jesus was doing to the city as the king of the Jews, even if it was a poor and scrappy look, could be seen 
as not only presumptuous but a foolish provocation of cruel powers. For now it wasn't Herod Archelaus in charge, it was the Romans. And they were not kind to those who rose up in defiance of their rule. And so this is perhaps part of the reason why in verse 39 some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to the Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Because the disciples were acclaiming Jesus as some kind of king. The donkey, which was a royal mount, the cloaks, the acclamation, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. All of this cries out, here is someone who we could make king. The Pharisees wanted Jesus to reject this reckless and presumptuous talk and they wanted Jesus to, to be nothing more than a teacher, teacher, Rebuke your disciples. But Jesus won't do it. In fact, he said it would be pointless. Verse 40, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Here is Jesus saying that this this is no pathetic attempt at a royal procession. No, this is, and this is the second way we might look at it. This is the truest royal procession of all. Jesus doesn't have the kind of royal power that human kings have. Power based on physical force and human consent. Rather, Jesus has the divine royal power that even the stones can give testimony to that miraculously and completely out of all experience of their character the very created stones can acclaim their creator as king the palms can shake of their own accord and give voice to the praise that should go to Jesus as the truly royal one the true king of Israel the true son of God Underneath what might seem to be a ragtag parade of upcountry peasantry was the kind of authority that meant that the disciples who went to borrow a colt from the city from a stranger, the owners would let it go just because they said, the Lord needs it. Jesus didn't say, if anyone asks you why you're untying it, here, show them your badge and your sword, and then say, the Lord needs it. No, he didn't need that kind of authority, the human authority of a badge and a sword the word was enough the Lord needs it so once again Jesus displays his claim to be the Messiah but he displays it in a way that might seem unworthy it might seem just too plain too humble too weak he displays it in a way that can be overlooked that can be refused, denied, even despised. Now, Jesus still comes to us as he came to Jerusalem. That is, he comes to us in a way that makes a real claim, but makes it in a way that can be refused, denied, overlooked. Jesus comes to us now in these central ways, in the gospel. He comes to us in the message about his life, about his death and resurrection and all that it means for us 
as we find it in the Bible, as we find it here today in this story of Jesus' life, comes to us in the message about Jesus' atoning death for sin, for our sin, in Jesus' resurrection to new life and the promise that we can share in it. The call to repent. This gospel is the way Jesus comes to us. And he comes to us through the messengers of the gospel, our fellow human beings who speak to us about Jesus. Now, both the gospel and the gospel messengers can seem weak. They can even seem pathetic. They can be overlooked, refused, denied, despised. The friend who invites you to some Christian thing can seem very ordinary. And the Christian talk that you hear can seem blah, blah, same old. I've heard this before, haven't I? It's never made sense to me before. But it can happen, and it does happen, that authority and goodness, truth and joy suddenly show up in that message. And the gospel, the message of Jesus It shines, it bursts into flame, it becomes good news, it becomes the power of our salvation, becomes a reconciliation between us and God and new life for us with him. We come to know him. And the voice of Jesus addresses us. And we are ready, we're ready to give him whatever he might need or ask for from us. We'll lend him our cult. We'll spread our cloak on the road and we'll sing, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Now you and I are not literally going to spread our cloaks on the road for Jesus' donkey to walk across, but we might honour him in a hundred ways, serving him with our time, our hands and feet. We've been out delivering postcards. We've been doing it for Jesus. Being those who proclaim his name, bring in church week by week in exactly in order that we might sing his praise regularly. Inviting others to join us at church to be part of this. Letting others know I am a Christian as they get to know you and you get to know them. Now of course we each have our gifts and our opportunities, our different opportunities to lay a cloak on the road before Jesus and we take them and we use them to give Christ his glory. But it's not just these outward things that we might do that's part of our act. It's also the inward desire that drives our acts, our laying of our cloak on the road before Jesus. For at the heart of it, being a Christian is about your relationship with Jesus, about your love for him, your trust in him, your desire to know him, to honour him, to acclaim him as Lord. And I don't mean, you know, you have to generate and demonstrate love and trust and desire to honour him in order to be accepted by him, right? It goes the other way around. The love and trust and desire that we might have for Jesus flows from a recognition that we are loved by him. And that in Jesus, God has come to us to heal and help and save. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. It's not that the crowds were kind of trying to 
win Jesus over by praising him, it's that he had won them over because he had done miracles for them. He had shown the power of God and the peace of heaven to them. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And this is what the leadership in Jerusalem couldn't see. That in Jesus, God was coming to his people to bring peace, the peace of heaven to them. Forgiveness and healing, if only they could see it. Jesus mourns over this as he approaches Jerusalem and saw the city. He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had known this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The city of Jerusalem was searching for peace somewhere else than Jesus. In political independence from Rome, in messiahs who raised an army and fought Rome. They thought, this is where my peace lies, my salvation lies, my life lies. But they found no peace in that because peace, the peace of heaven, is only found in Jesus. If we go looking for peace somewhere other than Jesus, it won't, it won't be found. Peace of heaven is found in him. And so when Jerusalem went looking for it in political independence, they discovered only Roman armies who in AD 70 overthrew Jerusalem and brought ruin to the nation. Jesus makes, you know, in many ways the same approach now to you and I as he made to Jerusalem then. He asks us, do you know my divine royal power? Do you Know it to be present in all the ordinary humanness of my life, my life on earth and my risen life. That he is present in all the ordinary humanness of this place, this moment, this text of scripture. Have you understood that Jesus comes to us in these things to bring us peace? Peace with God, reconciliation, wholeness, flourishing, life from God. To bring it to you. Have you joined the crowd praising God and Jesus Christ and have you laid your cloak down before him? That is, have you offered him what you have that could honour him? And will you lay your cloak before him again this coming week? Let's pray. Father, help us not to miss it when Jesus comes to us, when you come to us in him and in the message about his life and death and resurrection, about the miracles he did, about the offer he made to us that if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. We will have peace with you. And so, Lord, we pray that we would, having seen that truth, be one of those who praise Christ and say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord and lay our cloaks before him. Amen.